2: Welcome to the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast for Wednesday, October 16th. I'm Jeff Erickson here. As always, our podcast is sponsored by Yahoo Fantasy Sports. Thank you, Yahoo. Appreciate you. Uh, today, my co host is RotoWire's very own, Jerry Donobedian. You can check out his hidden stats article on RotoWire, his streaming defenses article. Uh, and I think uh, you also do uh, Friday work as well, Jerry. DF- is that DFS on Friday? Um,
1: yes on friday i do a dfs tournament guide and then on thursday morning i do start sit uh matchups article is that
2: all is that all only four articles a week i mean yeah that's
1: only four only four i I, if you count all my all the words from my tweets too i think that adds up to like three tenths of an article so 4.3 yeah
2: some of my best thoughts are shared on twitter and then forgotten forever so uh there, there you go um anyhow a lot of stuff going on this week uh jumping right in on trades that happened yesterday and Tuesday uh, as I was doing the value meter. Oh, the Rams are starting to, you know, they're starting to pair off some players. Uh, there goes, uh, you know, Marcus Peters goes to your Ravens. Uh, they Then they trade for an offensive lineman for the Browns. Oh, and then that minor little Jalen Ramsey deal. No big deal. Just a, just a minor shakeup with the team in week seven.
1: Yeah, that was all very confusing. Like, yeah, as you kind of described like the sequence of events, it's like, Oh, they're trading Marcus Peters. Like uh, three and three, coming off a Super Bowl seems a little early to give up on the season. But then it's like, oh, they're just clearing out cap space for Jalen Ramsey. And then I'm kind of in the opposite direction. Like, wait a second, that's like an all in trade. Like I don't, I don't quite see them being there as a team either. They're kind of in that. Feels like they're in that awkward middle ground this year. Absolutely. Uh, They they disagree.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, I Chris and I were talking this about about that on the show today. I think they're already kind of. You know, screwed for the future. I mean, they're lot a lot of their uh, money is tied up in Jared Goff and Todd Gurley with uh, guaranteed contracts uh for multiple seasons. That hey, you know, they're not going to be able to trade those contracts. They're they're already considered bad contracts. You know, maybe they just need to go all in, and they're already kind of default all in anyhow. Might as well go full all in, I guess.
1: Yeah, they kind of did put themselves in this situation yeah being financially tied with so much money into you know a quarterback who's what the the fourteenth best quarterback in the league maybe uh i it's hard to really say right now, and then a running back yeah you're pretty you're pretty much looking at some trouble down the road. So yeah, I guess I guess they're hoping, you know, they can get things sorted out with the offensive line and that Ramsey then helps. But yeah, like I think the offensive line is the real issue, not the cornerback play. So uh it's interesting, but I guess you take the upgrade where you can get it.
2: Right, I suppose. Now one of those trades did actually land them in offensive linemen, uh, going going with the Browns. Uh, now, the funny thing is, the question is that's highly debatable whether it's an upgrade, but Joe Note, Noteboom, who was really struggling to begin with then, suffered a torn ACL and MCL on Sunday. He's out for the season. They traded for Austin Corbett from the Browns. Now, Corbett was a second round pick last year. Uh, you know, this is supposed to be a guy that's supposed to be pretty good, and yet, you know, he, he couldn't even correct the starting lineup. He probably will start for the Rams, however
1: yeah it sounds like he will uh yeah he hadn't been playing for the browns but he is a, a center and guard and the browns for all the all the heat their offensive line has received which i think has kind of been an overblown story maybe looking for some excuses for the real problems there uh but their their interior line play has been pretty good so you know maybe you can say that for him but yeah he is a guy who's in his second year was picked i think 33rd or 34th overall So you kind of wonder if that's, you know, how much of an upgrade it is. Uh, Maybe an upgrade just in the sense of their left guard spot has been such a disaster since they lost Roger Saffold in the offseason that almost anything would be an upgrade. Uh, That's not not super encouraging for a team that has this all in mentality.
2: Right. Right. And how many times do we see this, that a team doesn't invest in their offense alignment? They have all these great skill position players. They they neglect the offensive line and they come. It comes back to haunt them. It seems like it happens all the time.
1: Yeah, yeah. With the, I mean, with the the Rams, it was a little surprising because they made such an effort to keep their core of players together. It was surprising to see them let Roger Saffold go in the offseason. You know, he'd been like a top five left guard, really, uh, and now this year they've gotten like. The, probably the worst p- play at that position in the league from note Boom, uh, and not much reason to think that whether it's Demby or Corbett coming in is going to be a huge upgrade. And I do think to some extent, like, you know, the, the decline at the other positions, they brought back four or five starters and all those guys are performing at a much lower level than last season. So I give them a little bit of a break there that they couldn't have seen it. But like, hey, you take away a great player. Andrew Whitworth is how old? 36 now uh, maybe there were some signs that this line was going to take a big step back. Right. Uh, the, the extent is surprising, but you could have seen it coming.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think you phrased it exactly right. You know, the decline was expected by how much we always say that with the position players regress, but regress to what, uh, well, same thing has to apply to other positions too. Uh, and maybe you know other guys that they brought in are underperforming what they thought they would do too. And that happens. Let's face it. The draft is hard. You know, it, it, We teams whiff on the draft regularly, even the even the Pats have had very mixed uh, draft results. It's, you know, trying to figure that out is not easy.
1: Yeah, I think the draft is uh, I'm not not one of the guys who says the draft is all luck. But like, I think the difference between the best team and an average team is like, you know, 10 or 15 percent better. That really it's, you know, the system, the coaching and the quarterback position Are the things that are going to allow you to do what the Patriots have done that you can't really count on? success year after year with the draft but if you do hit you know you hit a couple of like a quarterback like you hit a russell wilson in the fourth round you can afford to make a lot of mistakes and still be competitive
2: that's right that's right um and you know that's like such a windfall when that happens too because of the rookie contract rules because of you know just how expensive it is to get a veteran quarterback and look at the cost of kirk cousins look at the cost of matthew stafford and the cap cost associated with those guys i mean it's when you can get, you have that window on their rookie contracts. You really, I mean, it's such a windfall.
1: Yeah, it's a yeah, huge. I mean, you're right. You're freeing up basically enough. You know, comp- if you compare what Kirk Cousins is making, uh, what Matt Ryan's making to what you know Lamar Jackson is making, or you know even Josh Allen. I know he hasn't been very good, but just in terms of the cost, it's basically enough to sign two premium players at other positions, like a legit left tackle and number one wide receiver. If that's the direction you go with it.
2: That's right. That's right. So, you know, it just, it really does shape all the franchise building in it. That's why we talk about all these quarterbacks that so we can see that they probably aren't going to be great, but we still push them up in the draft because every once in a while, Wilson hits, you know, or, you know, and, and, le- and lower rounds even sometimes too. Uh, but that's why, you know, it's so, co- they, these draft qu- QBs are so coveted, but anyways, uh, more news uh, going on uh, Thursday night game, Chiefs Broncos, Chiefs have been racked by injury lately, and they have a number of guys that already have been declared out for this week, including Sammy Watkins, again, uh, pulled hamstring on this one here, or hamstring issues on this one. It's not just him though. It's also Kendall Fuller, Eric Fisher, Chris Jones, Andrew Wiley. That's a lot of guys out for this game.
1: Yeah, the injuries are really piling up for them uh and yeah, Chris Jones is one that maybe won't get as much attention but like this is not a it's not a defense that can afford to lose anyone um and even Kendall Fuller a slot corner who hasn't been as good this year as he was the past 2 years. I mean, yeah, I, can, I kind of was surprised when I saw the line that the Chiefs were only three-point favorites. Uh, but when you look at all those injuries, uh, and on the other side, you look at Denver probably having Emmanuel Sanders back a few days ago. We weren't sure about that. Uh, you can you can see how this could like shape up as a close game. And, yeah, pretty much anyone can run the ball on the Chiefs, so the Broncos, who actually have a pretty— Pretty good running game. I think we'll have some success there.
2: Yeah, for sure. And meanwhile, the Chiefs offensive line quietly hasn't been that great lately because they've been banged up in their own right. Uh And I kind of wonder if that's going to be the case uh, You know, on, on Thursday night. I, I kind of worry about them a little bit there, whether they're going to be able to protect Mahomes. Mahomes has been banged up the last couple of weeks. Wiley out again. Fisher out again. Eh, that's tough to overcome.
1: Yeah, the Chiefs really, I mean, you know, the, the Tyreek Hill absence, which is now over being the big thing. But you know, with Mahomes, with the ankle, with the offensive line being banged up, Chris Jones, uh, this is a team that I think in six weeks we're going to be talking about how awesome this team is again, just like we were yeah. you know, in week one, week two, just like we were for most of last season. But right now this is a beatable team. I mean, the last two teams that played them beat them uh and right. you know those were, those are were better teams than the Broncos to be fair but uh you know not broncos, much better though
2: okay. i mean i think not the broncos are bad. actually pretty good i mean they're two and four but they had leads inside of 2 minutes in two other games and and at least in the bears game had a very cheesy you know roughing the passer penalty basically kept that drive alive they could easily be 4 and 2
1: yeah i mean in terms of like point differential dvoa uh, expected points added, any of those kind of stuff, we kind of look at beyond a win loss record. They're pretty much a league average team, mm-hmm. uh, and surprisingly, with an offense that's better than their defense. Although that's kind of corrected back toward what we expected the past two weeks. Uh, I didn't, I really didn't expect that Joe Flacco was going to be better than Case Keenum, but at this point, it's. Pretty pretty clear that way. Granted, Courtland Sutton uh, progressing is a part of that too.
2: Sure, a uh, big part of that, and again, offensive line is, matters once again. Uh, Trent Williams not being there for uh, Washington—that's a huge, huge, huge deal. And that's one of the mysteries to me: is like, why are they, why is why are they being stubborn? Why aren't they going to trade him? And then he clear, made it clear he just doesn't want to play for them. Um, is it just they think they're going to you know make him feel worse by okay, fine, we, you won't get to play for anybody then?
1: I don't yeah there's really it's it seems like just like a petty kind of grudge thing almost right? because at this point like i I had to understand saying, look you're you know one of the key players, possibly the most important player on that team, uh although you guess you'd say if an offensive lineman's your most important player you you've got some issues to begin with. I can understand waiting him out for a week or two saying, you know every game he's sitting out, he's missing out on you know whatever it is seven hundred thousand dollars, is he really gonna keep sitting out?' So oh, now we're in week seven, like the man is not going to play football for you this year. Uh, and someone will still probably give you a second round pick, maybe even a first round pick for him. Like, right. I take it. Even if he comes back, what's it matter? You're not going anywhere. Like it might be the difference between four wins and five
2: we just saw this with let bell last year. I mean, at what point are our organization going to say, okay, well, let's cut our losses then. I don't know. I just, it seems to me like it's pretty clear. He will not play for you, but, uh, and maybe they're just posturing. Maybe they really are trying to get a better, a better offer, but he's missing out on all that great culture they have there though. I don't know. Not just $700,000 per game, but great culture too.
1: Yeah. It's supposed to be, has a reputation for being just a, a lovely work environment. And, uh, you know, if you get hurt, which you definitely will, uh, they take great care of you. So,
2: their health, your health is their priority. I, I saw that. Um, you know, I think there's even a sign on the wall saying that. So, it's got to be true. But, you know, oh well. The NFL season is in full swing at Yahoo Daily Fantasy Sports. There's a million reasons to enter the free Yahoo Cup on Daily Fantasy, and they're all dollars. That's right. Yahoo Cup is free to enter, and a perfect lineup will win you $1 million every week of the football season. It's easy as entering the contest and picking your players. If you're over 18 and a United States citizen, there's no reason why you shouldn't take your shot. Yahoo Daily Fantasy Football has new contests every week with guaranteed cash prizes. Even if you don't score a perfect lineup, you can still walk away from a game with a little cash. Choose Yahoo Daily Fantasy today. Get started now at Yahoo.com slash Daily Fantasy. I'm Jeff Erickson. My guest and co-host today is RotoWire's very own Jerry Donabedian. We're breaking down a lot of uh, Week 7 right now. Uh, Jerry, uh, a couple of other games that I thought were kind of vexing this week when trying to do my rankings. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about the Rams, and they're actually one. Listen, I d- disagree hard on that game. He's taking the Rams. I'm taking the Falcons. I, I think this is a case of home road. Uh, the Falcons and the Vikings, to me, are two teams That are really home dependent. uh, That you send them out on the road, and both in in Atlanta's case, they've been on the road a lot. They're just a different team out there.
1: Yeah, I mean the Rams uh, with their reliance on like getting up to the line and snapping the ball quickly, having everything communicated quickly. They're definitely like their strategy just kind of lends itself to working much better at home, and they don't have to deal with the crowd noise uh, and rely on hand signals. Uh, Which is kind of a problem for them, like being at three and three and trying to sneak into a wild card like they're, you know, a team that really is trying to get a bye week uh, and stay in that comfort zone at home. Yeah, I don't uh, just both of these teams right now are you're kind of like there's sort of just gross. I mean, the Rams, I guess, have some upside Uh, and you look at maybe that, you know, even though this is on the road and we've seen that Jared Goff's numbers on the road have not been good the past couple of years. But he's playing the Falcons defense, which has been like the ultimate get right spot for every other quarterback this year uh, so maybe some optimism there, but yeah. yeah in terms of the Rams being three point favorites on the road, I don't see the Falcons as being that bad of a team. I think they're a bad team, but they're losing close games mostly. It's not like they're getting blown out every week right uh, so I, I would I would take the Falcons and getting three points there certainly.
2: Yeah, I don't think they're special bad like my precious Bengals or the Dolphins or or the Redskins. You know, I don't think they're in in that category. Um, Other one is uh, Detroit hosting Minnesota big division game. Uh, Every game between these four teams seems like a big game right now. Uh, What's your take on that game?
1: Yeah, that's maybe the, the top game of the week in terms of the quality of the two teams. Um, I guess maybe I'm still a little higher on the Lions than some people. I guess still kind of impressed with the game that they gave to Kansas City uh, and probably, you know, if not for the fumbles, would have turned out differently. Uh, and then also, you know, really outside of the red zone struggles, mostly and the penalties, but we're not even going to go there. Outplayed the Packers in Lambeau Field on Monday night. And, uh, yeah, and the Vikings their team have been very skeptical of because of their like dedication to we're gonna run the ball, even right. when we need to be passing it. And like, look, you've got you've got Dalvin Cook in a line that's better at run blocking than pass blocking. I get it. Like I get wanting to run the ball. Uh, I'm not going to say, oh, just you know, pass every play. But if they have opened up a little bit the past two weeks, and this will be, like, the first test against, uh, with all respect to the Giants, who have been a little more...
2: Funky. No respect. First Do not give the Giants respect. Come on. You Liz know, is listening to this. You know that. Don't give them
1: respect. it out. I was made some comment about, like, the Cardinals and Giants were both, like, really adorable little teams. Like, they were better than we expected them to be, and, mm-hmm. you know, if they were in the AFC, maybe they could make the playoffs, but in the NFC, they had no chance. And Liz kind of pointed out, like, the Giants are favored this week, and if they win, they only a game out of first place then I went and I looked at their schedule and I looked at the fact that they haven't had any of their offense like healthy at the same time this year and I was like I kind of almost talked to myself into like maybe they can get to nine and seven and like that'll that'll do the trick in the NFC East uh, I talked myself back out of it for what it's worth
2: all right good Crisis averted.
1: I, was, I spent about 10 minutes there in that zone and then went kind of just bounced back to, okay, maybe maybe 2020 is more realistic.
2: <laughs> he can be persuasive at times. He can. He, he was pu- pushing that noise at me at, on today's show too. Um, you know, They're going to be three and four and then they still have this. And I'm like, uh, yeah, they've still got to play the Eagles twice and the Eagles are going to smoke them and then we won't be talking about that anymore. It will be all over. But anyways, um, I, I might be a little bit more cynical but uh, or maybe it's just because he's my co-host that I get more of that more that way towards them Uh, for as far as the lions go. I I mean, first of all, how can you ignore those calls? I mean, they, they had that game one in Lambeau. I mean, the nine point lead third and they get a sack on third and long and a phantom call bails, bails the Packers out that leads to the touchdown. It gets it within one score. They don't get that touchdown there. It's over. The game's over.
1: Yeah, that's, I, I, you know, I guess the shoulder, the face, it's all the, all the same now. Yep. Um, (laughs) I, yeah, it's been the same thing with, like, the holding calls this year. You oh, kind of see yeah. some of them and you're like, ooh, like, you know, in the past you would. I feel like I'd find myself complaining, like, okay, that's holding technically, but but really you're going to call it there. This year I'm just like, wait, he didn't even – he was barely touching the guy. Like he missed – he actually missed his block and you called him for holding. Uh, it's, the Packers yeah, have been I, the
2: beneficiary of a number of calls at Lambeau that way. The, uh, the Vikings-Packers game where uh, – uh, or no, no, it wasn't Vikings Packers. It was uh, Raiders Packers, uh, where no, 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 I'm, I'm I'm gonna get it right eventually. It's the Broncos Packers, where Emmanuel Sanders got called for that phantom hold on uh, the the Royce Freeman touchdown. That was maybe the worst of the year, but the fact is they've been running running on the good side of calls this year.
1: Yeah, running on the good side so far. Uh, they're kind of, I mean you know based on their record and the fact that Aaron Rodgers looks quite good again and their defense is better than it's been in a few years i guess there is some reason for optimism there but i'm also yeah between the luck they've had with the calls and the injuries they've had at wide receiver that that division is definitely wide open uh, and if the vikings go into detroit this week and look really strong for a third straight week i think that's going to be like you know viewed as the team to beat even sure. if they have spotted the packers a game here
2: I'm on the I'm on the Lions side on this one here. I think they should be three point favorites, um, at least. And I, I just think that the Lions are a legit decent team. Uh, I think they've got a solid quarterback. They've got two good receivers, a pretty decent running back in on Johnson. I've been slightly disapp- I was I was disappointed with what he did on Monday night, uh, and a really good defense. They should have won that game on Monday night. They they beat the if they beat the Packers in Lambeau. It's a whole different narrative. I think. And I, I I think you take the Vikings on the road, you take them against a good defense where they have to, if they might have to play catch up, I think it's going to be troublesome for Kirk Cousins, who I just don't believe operates well under pressure.
1: Yeah. I, I the Lions are one of those teams where it's like, I can't really find a weakness with them, but I also can't, I'm not sure what they do. Great. Like they've got, they're good against the run. Yeah. They're good against the pass. They, th- they can throw the ball pretty well. The running game actually, which was supposed to be like the, that the off season hype was all, you know, they hired. Daryl Bevel and last year we saw them run the ball a ton even when they were losing games like that was supposed to be the the focal point of their team and that's been the one thing that's kind of struggled but they've been able to make up for it because they've been throwing the ball downfield a lot more and having a lot of success doing that Uh, which you know I think is I'm skeptical whenever a team kind of spits out the cliches about wanting to run more. Uh, But if if the other side of that is that more of your throws are going deeper downfield compared to like the old dink and dunk that we saw with Jim Bob Cooter as their coordinator, then I I think that really has like a nice ceiling to work out really well for them uh, that the running part hasn't happened yet. But yeah, I think I think that team has a higher ceiling. Than maybe people acknowledge right now. Uh, I'm not sure whether they'll reach that or not, though. So I'm not sure how helpful that is. <laughs> right, exactly.
2: Uh, a couple other games I uh, wanted to kind of go over that I thought might be pretty interesting this week. Uh, how about your Ravens going to Seattle? Uh, I got to say, I thought they'd blow out the Bengals, and they were clearly the better team. And, you, you know, that was the, it was a game that wasn't as close as the final score indicated. But yeah, it was kind of like, eh, is that all at the same time?
1: Yeah, the Ravens are, they're not a great team by any means. They show, they sort of, they're they are a fun team. And I think that can be like mistaken for, you know, them being better than they are. Um, but yeah, the defense, I don't think, you know, the Marcus Peters trade, I, I'm happy about it as a Ravens fan. Like we traded a backup linebacker and a fifth round pick for a starting cornerback. Like, how are you not going to be happy about right. that? But I I don't really see how he fits in with the Ravens. He's a guy who's struggled when he's been tasked with man-to-man coverage uh, and kind of a, a gambler, a guy who goes for interceptions and forced fumbles more so than worrying about consistently covering the receiver. And the Ravens do leave their cornerbacks on an island against guys a lot. Uh, so maybe we'll see some schematic changes to account for Peters being there. Uh, and the guy, the snaps he's going to be taking away, we're going to guys like Maurice Kennedy, Anthony, Anthony Averett, like total, you know, bottom of the league scrub type guys who were just getting owned by out and Tate last week.
2: Yes. They, uh, they made a point of uh, focusing on that, that the Bengals specifically were talking, targeting Kennedy, uh, that that was definitely, and that's why Tyler Boyd did Tyler Boyd did so little is because Humphreys was on, uh, uh, on, Void, so why not just go after Kennedy? Auden Tate looked great. I mean, uh, he made some catches that I was really impressed with. But at the same time, he was also getting open a lot too. And Alex Erickson, for that matter, every once in a while, when he was getting open too on those.
1: Yeah, it was. I uh, was actually talking on Twitter with uh, Mario Puig about this. That yeah, I was at the at the game, and I thought that I know that, that Tate has been getting some hype this week. I kind of noticed that he only had like for the number of targets he had, whatever 90 yards wasn't great. Uh, But the catches he did make looked really spectacular. Yeah. I thought he got open a bunch of times where Dalton either didn't have time uh, or didn't see him or threw the ball to someone else. At the same time, he does kind of move around. He's kind of like that six foot five guy who moves like a six foot five. guy. He's not real real fluid. He's not like DK Metcalf uh, who, interestingly enough, could be in like that same spot this week uh, with the Ravens probably using Marlon Humphrey to shadow Tyler Lockett uh, and then taking their chances with the outside guys for the Seahawks. So it's something to consider if anyone's got like a, a tough lineup ce- decision with DK Metcalf. Although hopefully it's not someone uh, that we're like relying on in our lineups. I don't don't think a, a favorable. Uh, cornerback matchup is quite enough to get him in there in most leagues, but no. worth considering is like a, a tough call in the margins for deeper leagues. Yeah. And now, uh,
2: on the other side of the ball, so well, looking at you know, looking at the Ravens and Lamar Jackson going to Seattle, you know, when they when he's faced credible defenses in the past, and I think Seattle qualifies as that, although I don't think they're fearsome, but they're credible. You know, he's actually had some trouble throwing the ball uh, that, you know, diagnosing coverages, uh, fending off the pass rush. I think about the Pittsburgh game uh, and I feel like that this game could kind of line up in that sort of quadrant.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Against better defenses, he really has in terms of the passing. What we've mostly seen is him beating up on lesser defenses and then against better. Well, last week against the Bengals, kind of he was successful passing and Rushing, just not so much in the red zone. Uh, But yeah, no, the Seahawks are uh, a decent, at least a functional defense. And looking at possibly playing without Marquise Brown for a second straight week, you know that's okay against the Bengals. But look who the other receivers are. Willie Sneed. Seth Roberts like you know he's not going to be getting a lot of help from his receivers this week and even when Marquise Brown is healthy wasn't getting much help from them uh so yeah I think I think this is going to be a game where the Ravens are going to need to win it with a rushing attack and that becomes problematic if you're down by 14 points you know in the second half
2: yeah absolutely absolutely so I guess the thing is don't fall behind that's your trick unfortunately Russell Wilson's playing about as good as he's ever played right now uh he, he just looks so good every single week right now.
1: Yeah, I actually saw uh, earlier on Twitter, Marlon Humphrey tweeted something about, he basically said, we always talk about how we don't want to play Lamar Jackson. This week we get it. a look at, you know, what Lamar looks like two years, like further down the line or basically something that I was just like, oh, really, like. Basically, our best player is already saying that you know it's going to be it's going to be a tough week. So, uh, yeah, but yeah, that's that's probably an accurate based on the state of the Ravens' defense and Russell Wilson just being out of his mind this year. Right, probably, probably accurate.
2: Exactly. And the thing is, the Ravens aren't bringing as much pressure as they have in the past. They're not creating turnovers as much as they have in the past. Uh, this is not what you'd exactly think it, uh, the defense was before.
1: Yeah, I think that I think there is still some adjustment to the talent level being down. You know, the past few years, the Ravens have been up near the top of the league in blitz rate, which is great for, you know, creating turnovers and sacks. But if your cornerbacks can't cover guys for two to three seconds, then you're going to get burnt by it. And like we've seen with, you know, teams picking on the same guys, Maurice Kennedy and Anthony Averitt over and over again. Uh, whether Marcus Peters can help that or not, I don't know. I'm not optimistic that five days after a trade, he's going to be ready to help that. Uh, but at least long-term maybe, cause they've already got, you know, one guy, Marlon Humphrey playing at a really high level at cornerback. Exactly. But yeah, I don't, I don't see, I don't see how, you know, this pass rush without that doesn't have that dominant pass rusher at all. Uh, that's going to be problematic against Russell Wilson on the road.
2: Yeah, I think so too. What's your projection on the final score in this game?
1: My my optimistic pro- no, I'll give you my real projection: uh, Seahawks twenty-seven, Ravens twenty.
2: Yeah, I'm in about the same neighborhood as you there. Um, I think the yeah, I think the Ravens will put some points on the board, but I just think Wilson's too much. Uh, I just and they got Carson going too, and that's just I underestimated Carson this year. Uh, I don't have him anywhere, even when you know even early on when he was affordable I still didn't grab him and that was my mistake but you know I, you know later on he was going to the third round and I just wasn't there for that and it turns out I was wrong
1: yeah right there with you my I was viewing that as like an uncertain backfield that you know Carson and Penny were both gonna have roles and I was like well when there's uncertainty I'll just take the cheaper guy you know yep Uh, And also, I think skeptical of the way Carson runs. It's so brutal, kind of like a Marion Barber type running style, where it's going to be hard to stay healthy. uh, And also, maybe sometimes hard to hang on to the ball. But he seems to have sorted that out a little the past few weeks. Exactly. But yeah, maybe the real lesson there is if there's uncertainty, just like, and it's in an offense with Russell Wilson that loves to run the ball. Maybe you just draft both guys and don't try to take a take a hard stance on it. Just take a stance that like, well, it'll one of them will work out.
2: Yeah. Just steer into it. I like that idea. All right. Already knocked out of your survivor pool. Do you end up losing early in the season? Feeling like your success is mostly based on luck. Wish there were some alternative where you could use your actual fantasy sports knowledge as opposed to relying on whether a team wins or loses. Well, now there is world fantasy pools brings you the first of its kind game type stat based survivor pools. World fantasy pools takes the traditional concept of survivor pools that players are familiar with and adds in a more exciting twist. Instead of choosing a team to win a game, you will use your fantasy knowledge to choose an, an athlete to achieve a designated stat line. Achieve the stat line, and you advance. Fail to, and you will be eliminated. Be the last to survive and or make it through all rounds to win it or split the entire prize pool. Choose, just choose one athlete each round to achieve a designated stat line to advance and win. It's that simple. Sign up and play today at www.worldfantasy.com worldfantasypools.com. All right. Jeff Erickson here with Jerry Donabedian. Jerry, you do a couple articles on Tuesday uh, that I help me with my value meter each week, uh, the hidden stats article and the streaming defenses. I'm going to start with the easier one first, streaming defenses. Easier for me because I, it, it's great now that I, I look at – I do my rankings first. My process is you know, I look at the news, look who's out, who's been added, and all that sort of stuff. I, then I do my quick and dirty ranking. Then I check your article and honestly, I'm matching up with you more than I thought I would. It, more than I have in years past. I feel like we're sharing a brain this year.
1: Hey, yeah, I mean, I guess uh, that's. It's been working out pretty well. I think the there's not really a big secret to it, but I feel like that in terms of like the success of the recommendations that that article has definitely been the the be- had the best track record of anything I do. I mean, honestly, a lot of it is just looking at the implied totals for teams. Uh, you know, picking on basically offenses that have low implied totals. And yeah, and my kind of if I just sum it up in one word is that, or one sentence is like the the quality of the quarterback and the offensive line is much more important than the quality of the defense facing them.
2: Yes, I mean that's the whole key to streaming, right? I mean the fact is we're not spent, you know, we're not drafting the Bears, we're not drafting the Pats. You're you're streaming now. Turns out drafting the Pats has been the best strategy of them all so far this year. But uh, you know, it's been there's been a successful stream almost every single week.
1: Yeah, I was going to say drafting the – it's like drafting the Jaguars two years ago was the best strategy. But no one – you know, that wasn't the defense that if you drafted defense early, you got. Like it's hard right. to – it's not like, you know, the, at the positions, there's more predictability from year to year in terms of results. And we can usually see when the breakouts are coming. Right, uh, I think a lot of people drafted the Pats looking at how soft their early schedule was. Uh, and that was certainly something that it was talked about a little bit before the season. But yeah, I think with the with the weekly streaming, like last year, uh, I don't play in that many leagues that actually use a defense. But like in my main home league last year, I actually went back and calculated, and just using the streaming picks that I wrote about in my article, I actually ended up with more points. Than the bears scored over the course of the season. Nice. Uh, This year I'm off to, I'm not, I don't think I've scored quite as many as the Patriots have scored by streaming, but more than, more than any other team. So yeah, like, and this year probably is, you know, better than ever for it with the dolphins, Bengals, the Redskins just being so far below the rest of the league. Yeah. Uh, Although now you're like getting to the point where you almost have to stash a defense two weeks in advance, which I did this week with the Bills defense because I knew that a lot of people dropped them when they went on by. So I went and picked them up, knowing they were going to play Miami the week after. Which normally I don't really advocate for that. Like I don't think it's you know I don't think you need to do it. Like I think just one one at a time each week. There's always something decent available. But I viewed this as sort of the, the rare exception this week where the Bills are 49ers based on their matchups and strength of their defense were worth stashing.
2: Right. And, you know, the, the Dolphins also aren't just merely bad. They're special bad. I mean, it, it's they're starting Fitzpatrick again this week, which means you can lock in a couple of turnovers because he will make a bad throw every once in a while. You just can kind of count on that. Um, and it seems like this year we've had a lot more new quarterbacks. Maybe I, it's just. I it's it's not as fresh in my mind, but I know week two was crazy where we had six quarterback injuries, but it seems like every week there's at least one new quarterback and not all of them are on the Steelers.
1: Yeah, no, last year also was a very, uh, a very healthy year for quarterbacks. Like two years ago, we had another year and two years ago, like a lot of numbers, like league wide yards per attempt, uh, even, you know, points per game and total yards per game were down. Uh, that was, you know, the year where we had no Andrew Luck. Aaron Rodgers only played like seven right. games. Uh, Deshaun Kaiser ended up making, what was it, 15 starts. So he started a whole season for the Browns.
2: It was close, but it was on and off, too, because they they brought in like uh, the Stanford kid for a couple of games. And, yeah, it was a big mess.
1: Yeah. So last year was like the opposite. It was very a very clean season. Uh, and this year we've got more, it's kind of like more trending to the extremes. Like I think league wide offensive stats are pretty close to where they were last year, despite all these low quality replacement quarterbacks coming in because we've got like Russell Wilson and Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson just, you know, lifting, lifting up the rest of the league in terms of that. But yeah, more, more disparity, which just kind of, you know, leading back to the streaming thing, like makes it all the more important. Like I would rather start any defense against the Dolphins than the Bears against Pat Mahomes or Russell Wilson.
2: Right. Exactly. And, you know, just, it's, it's, it's really kind of becoming more like other sports in the, the golf between the haves and have nots. It feels like, I feel like the top teams aren't that strong necessarily, but the bottom teams are as bad as I've seen in a long time.
1: Yeah. I was kind of the other day. I was like, man, there's like two good teams, uh, five disgracefully bad teams, and then, like, how, whatever, 25, my math, need to check my math there, but yeah, 24, 25 teams that I'm all kind of just like, eh, I'm yeah. not, I haven't really decided whether they're good or bad yet, like, well, <laughs> time will tell.
2: Well, let's let, you know, Listen, and I always talk about this, we have, you. how many number of teams would it take for you to say, give me X number of teams versus the field to win the Super Bowl, and usually it's four or five, right, and this year... I can think of a bunch of teams in the NFC that are good, but not necessarily dominant. Like if I were doing that bet this year, I would definitely take the Pats. Obviously I would, I would still take the chiefs because I think they'll get well eventually. And then like on the NFC side of things, I could see like seven or eight different uh, people that uh, are different teams that you could take. Uh, You know, I could see, I could see the, the Niners. I could see the saints. I could see the case for, you know, the Packers, the Vikings, the Bears, and maybe I could see a case for the Eagles or the Cowboys too. There's a lot of NFC teams that are pretty good, but not necessarily great.
1: Yeah, I could. I would even go deeper in the NFC. Like I think even the, I, I mean the Panthers, even like, yeah. not with Kyle Allen at quarterback. I know that's like about to be the big controversy. Uh, but if they get a Cam Newton back who's healthy, that's a big if. Like at this point, like I think. If Cam Newton is not actually healthy, then I would keep playing Kyle Allen. But if he's like actually, actually healthy, not playing on one foot, not playing with like a shoulder that causes him to wince every time he tries to throw a football, uh, you know, then I think you look at how much their defense has progressed from where it was last year. It's really like a pretty clearly a top 10, possibly top five defense this year uh, with just going from like a terrible pass rush last year to a really good one. And obviously having Christian McCaffrey taking half their touches on offense, like they could be even a contender, uh, especially if, you know, in the NFC South, Breeze takes a little longer to get back than expected.
2: Right, exactly. And, uh, you know, the the thing about the Saints, I feel like, is they've been undervalued uh, according to the line like the last four weeks because everyone assumes a bigger gap between Breeze and Bridgewater. But there is still a pretty big gap. But also because I think their defense is – legit top five defense uh i think we've seen that you know starting with the cowboys game i mean they came well even even the seahawks game remember wilson put up a ton of yards but they were playing catch up the entire time they got that garbage touchdown late like on they had like four tries at it with penalties basically okay we're going to make sure you get this last touchdown it's not going to affect any of the lines but well it might affect an over but uh it just kept going and going and that piled on the yards but at the same time i think the saints they're really a good defense.
1: Yeah, they kind of won me over last week. I kind of been on the fence there because they were so bad the first couple weeks. Uh, and then, yeah, they played really, really well against the Cowboys and then the Buccaneers. And we've kind of seen this. Like, didn't they do the same thing the last two years? Basically, like the first two weeks, they gave up like 80 points. And then the rest of the season, they were like totally playoff caliber, pretty consistent defense, maybe give up some passing yards, but. Not, you know, usually when the other team was playing from behind already.
2: Right. Week one, that was a hell of a game, but it was also fresh in our mind. You know, we might, we, we might the part that sticks out is, you know, how easily both teams move the ball in the two minute drill. And we're like, oh, these defenses, what are they doing? OK, well, maybe it's week one. and They got things figured out. Maybe that's it. And you know, we always say don't, you know, don't uh, overvalue the preseason results. Well, don't overvalue week one results or week two results or any one single week results for that matter
1: yeah I do think in terms of public perception like if a team plays a primetime game in week one or two and then doesn't play a primetime game in the next few weeks like that perception of the team kind of gets stuck uh, yeah. and I think maybe with the Texans are a team where it's kind of taking us some time to adjust because we saw their defense just get destroyed by a breeze in you know at the very end of the fourth quarter in that game although ultimately giving up thirty one to the Saints in the superdome really isn't bad that's fine that's you know what do they average in prime time? Like eighty points per game or something. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, and looking at what the and then I guess the next week or was it week three the Texans barely beat the Jaguars. and like, how did you know they're home against this guy Gardner Minshew, whoever he is? Like, but like, hey, we look at it now, it's like, well, Gardner Minshew isn't so bad. Like the Jaguars maybe aren't quite as bad as we thought and yeah, some of those results are more easily explained. Uh, and then of course, just the issue of it being a one week sample anyway.
2: Exactly. Uh, speaking of the Jaguars, uh, they go to Cincinnati this week and get to face a team that is without their top two cover corners. They don't have any NFL linebackers we're speaking about. Uh, they have a couple of guys that are quad a linebackers, but. uh, uh You know they can't cover anybody in the in the passing game. Uh, You uh, you're you're a Ravens fan. You saw how easily uh, Jermaine Pratt was getting beaten coverage. Mark Andrews was so wide open all the time. Any time they threw to him, Uh, I think this could be a big Minshew week. But it also could be just they're running it so successfully with Fournette. I I actually think this could you know Jacksonville could put up thirty five easily to this week.
1: Yeah, I've actually in my matchups column I've stopped writing about how bad Nick Vigil and Preston Preston Brown are because just. Every week, I was pointing it out. I was just like, you know, at some point, just let's just stick with the Bengals stink. Like, I don't want to just, right. you know, going into the details of like Nick Vigil giving up 11 yards per target over the last two years or whatever. Gets and Preston Brown missing eight million tackles. Uh, gets old. But yeah, you look like the Bengals. The one thing they did have going for them as a team was William Jackson and Drake Kirkpatrick, and um, that they had done a pretty good job of limiting wide receiver production, partially because teams don't need wide receivers to beat the Bengals. Right. Um, sorry, now I'm just really going in hard on your guys. I
2: brought it up. It's all good. It's what? all good. I, really- hey, I'm a self-hating Bengals fan, and I understand the rot. Right, you know, I, I think Zach Taylor's fine. I think his, his coaches are fine it all starts at the top it starts with the owner slash gm a league low number of scouts the the unwillingness to invest in free agency and anybody of any note you know just terrible blunders you know managing their their cap you know signing willingly signing bobby hart to an extension uh not having anybody else just getting caught off guard when clint bowling retires like oh we didn't see that coming well maybe you should talk to him i don't know um there's just little, it's not even little things; it's big things. And so Zach Taylor could be Vince Lombardi for all we know—a modern Vince Lombardi—but we won't know because he will never have the personnel.
1: Yeah, I mean, no. Mike Brown is actually—he's a low-key genius. He figured out how to maximize long-term profits as the owner of an NFL franchise in like a non-premium market. Yeah, Uh, Like you can, you know, part of being part of the NFL is that you can ride the coattails of the other 31 franchises. So as long as they're investing in their scouting department and their analytics department and their weight training facilities and all this stuff, it keeps the quality of the league up. Uh, And, you know, you don't want to be you don't want to get stuck in a rut of like four win seasons like they were for a long time. But you just kind of need to give the fans like enough hope to keep coming like, you know, they had a few playoff appearances in a row there. That was probably above, honestly, what Mike Brown was shooting for.
2: Well, that's the thing about Marvin Lewis is actually a, probably a pretty decent coach, yet it was time for him to go. But they, they felt, settled into that comfort spot. Yeah, a lot of eight and eights, a lot of nine and sevens. Hey, we made six playoffs under him. We lost six playoff games under him, too. But before that, we are totally in the wilderness. My favorite stat, area is this this year they started off 0 and six. This is the ninth time in Bengals history that they've started off 0 and six. Nine times. That's, that's Can you that's imagine pretty, any other
1: franchise doing that? Yeah, that's really – that is something else. And, yeah, this is – they're they're back to that level of like the last two years they were bad. But this year they're back to like that early 2000s pre-Carson Palmer like special Bengals bad where mm-hmm. you just the other team just goes into the game like, yep, we're playing the Bengals this week. Yeah, and, even, and it's so
2: funny because after week one – I was optimistic. I was excited. They, the brand of football I saw against the Seahawks was good. They played really well. They made some bad errors at the wrong times, which they're going to do because they're the Bengals. But they also—I mean—they—they they took it to Russell Wilson. They—they they were in his face the entire game. They moved the ball up and down the field. You know, John Ross looked like, oh, this is why they drafted him in the first round. This is why they took a t- uh, used a top ten pick on a wide receiver. Uh, you know, that might a- he might actually be able to play and then now he's out for the year there's no joy in mudville but you know mike brown reminds me of uh, mr burns on the simpsons just twiddling his fingers just like ah uh, you know plotting his profits pushing a stadium deal that's just totally pernicious on the, his population but knowing that it doesn't matter what he does he's going to be profitable and i don't know thanks for thanks for uh, humoring my bengal's rant i had to get it out of my system this my no, weekly I, one i
1: enjoy it as as an afc north fan uh yeah, yeah it's been It's been an interesting, interesting thing to watch the Bengals and the Browns over the years.
2: Yeah, interesting is a nice word for it. I mean, the Bengals used to cause the Ravens fits. Um, I mean, Lewis actually had some good, you know, they had some good wins against Baltimore.
1: Uh, Baltimore, too. Like, Andy Dalton and A.J. Green were killing the Ravens for a few years there. And some of those Ravens teams were really good, too. Yeah,
2: and, and even a couple of years ago, I mean, Dalton to to Tyler Boyd. I mean, Dalton can't buy a meal in Buffalo. I can tell you that much. Uh, he, he will for he goes back to Buffalo any day, and he can get a free meal. I guarantee it. Uh, but it's, that's about the only place he can do that with. But uh, here we go. Uh, before we move on to uh, hidden stats, a quick note from our friends at Stash Invest: Your fantasy winnings are going to need a, are going to need a game plan. Put them to work on Stash, and you'll get an extra five dollars to start investing. Over 3 million Americans invest, bank, and save with Stash, all on one easy-to-use app. On Stash, you can buy pieces of stocks and funds just $5 at a time. And unlike some other micro-investing apps, you get to build your own portfolio. Your Stash also includes access to a smarter, simpler bank account that actually works with your investment account and can help you save and spend smarter. Want to plan for a better financial future? Stash also offers retirement accounts and investing accounts for kids. Stash can even help teach you how to save and invest confidently with simple guides, articles, challenges, and personalized guidance. Stash is a financial home for all your money needs, and they'll even give you $5 to invest if you join today. Stash, one one app, unlimited opportunity. Investment advisory services offered by Stash Investments, LLC, and SEC-registered investment advisor. Debit account services provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Uh, and we are talking fantasy football here uh, with Jerry Donabedian. I'm Jeff Erickson. Jerry, you also write uh, Hidden Stats. And I love this article. that comes out every Tuesday. You know, you know, sometimes we look at this, the baseline on what a guys have done, you know, and like, ah, this guy's let us down. Or, wow, this guy's, you know, this guy's going to be worth my immediate pickup. But you kind of dive into the numbers. And this has become more popular across fantasy football and. and analysis these days, but I think it's important that you do a good job of presenting it in an easily digestible function here for us.
1: Yeah. I mean, the main kind of focus of the column, I guess, is to look into player usage uh, and going, going beyond carries and targets to look at, you know, guys who maybe haven't been getting a ton of carries and targets, but looking at, you know, what those reasons might be uh, if there's optimism for more, or maybe looking at guys who have been getting a lot of targets And saying, but look, they're not running many routes, and their quarterback, you know, they've been playing from behind, so the quarterbacks had to throw a ton of passes. If you look at their target share, you look at how often they're running routes when the quarterback's dropping back, like, there's no way they're gonna keep seeing seven targets per game. So, yeah, just looking at, and I think really in the last, like, two or three years, like, demand for that depth of information has really grown. Like, a few years ago, like, even just looking at targets was almost like taking it, you know, beyond, like, you know you're looking at volume not just production now people want like the volume behind the volume right Uh, so trying trying to present that in a way that's you know able to maybe try not to necessarily jump to conclusions but at least you know help people in a direction if they've got some tough fantasy decisions to make
2: right um to that end let let's talk about one of the more vexing players in fantasy football this year oj howard uh, every week I get questions about him every week. I, you know, I have questions about him too. Cause I, let's face it. I have him in a lot of places, including a dynasty league. I'm where I turned down multiple trade offers for him over the off season. I'm feeling pretty bad about this one, Jerry. Uh, he, he, every week I, I just look at the number of targets. I look at the routes run. Uh, he's running more routes than he did earlier this season. I think a little bit, but still, I'm just like, is there hope?
1: Yeah, he's so he's running more routes. Uh, the the route because they're throwing, they've been throwing the ball so much the past few weeks because yeah. they've been yeah you know, playing from behind or in matchups that kind of dictated that. In terms of the routes per drop back, he's still in that like he's gone up a little bit. I think earlier this year it was like at sixty percent, uh, which is you know lower than we're gonna see with like an Ingram and Ertz, like Kelsey, those really premium tight ends. But still in the range where like there are guys. You know, Mark Andrews is at sixty percent. Uh, And he's obviously he's I think he's seen seven to nine targets every week this season. So it's totally doable. But, yeah, he's still kind of been in that 60 to 70 percent range where he is losing. There's about 10 snaps per game. He'll come off the field for Cameron Braid. And out of those 10, usually nine will be passing plays. Uh, and then they're also using him as a pass blocker a handful of times per game. So like, he's still running routes, but not a ton. And just the concentration of the targets there has been so heavily to Godwin and Evans. Uh, I, I actually think that at this point he's sunk so low that like I would view him as a buy low candidate. But like you're, you know, that's probably more of like a dynasty league consideration or a you know sixteen team league like. I, he's not someone who, at this point, it's like if he's only getting targeted on twelve percent of his routes, and it's been six games and two hundred over two hundred pass attempts for Winston. At some point, it's like, look, this guy just isn't the priority there.
2: Right, I think so too. Um, and his ability to block actually works against him. You know, Brate's never asked to block. You know, it's just he just gets to go out and run his routes. Wee. Uh, and Howard has to actually stay in and do the dirty work, and that works against him because he's actually, you know, because he's actually better than Brate at that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think you see like the opposite with someone like Mark Andrews, like the fact that he at Oklahoma, he basically played slot receiver. Right. You know, 250 pound slot. Uh, and so the Ravens kind of brought him in and they also already had Nick Boyle, a blocking tight end and Hayden Hurst, who sort of more the middle ground was their first round picks. Like they've never really asked Andrews to right learn to you know, become a better blocker. He's you know, he's OK at it. So, but yeah, he gets most of his snaps are in the slot, even some out wide, whereas OJ Howard is, you know, taking more inline tight end snaps. That's how you see, like, Howard is playing 50% more snaps than Mark Andrews and seeing one third the number of targets. I I think there's also, you know, a talent part of that, too. I think maybe OJ Howard isn't quite the football player that we thought he was. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that's that's not the popular opinion. It's mostly... Blaming Bruce Arians, and I do think that he's—I do think Howard has been misused. I think there's some truth to that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I he might just not be a good enough route runner reliable enough pass catcher to really demand targets.
2: Yeah, that's also true. And let's face it. I mean, Evans and Godwin versus an injured Brown and Willie Sneed and, you know— Dot, dot, dot. I'm trying to even think here. Boykin, I guess, would be your number three in Baltimore. Uh, You know, it's definitely not the same comparison there. I mean, you've got two legit great wideouts for Tampa.
1: Yeah, the Ravens have no choice but to give Mark Andrews, uh, you know, seven to 10 targets per game. There's no, the only other choice is to run the ball 70% of the time instead of 60% of the time.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Um, So let's look at a couple other ones. You know, the Philly backfield is another one that I think vexes people at times. If you're a Miles Sanders owner, you're like, okay, we saw that Detroit game where he got so many snaps and all that. Okay. I'm ready for the goodness to come down. And then he makes one bad cut on his first carry against green Bay. And all of a sudden we see Jordan Howard in there for most of the rest of the day and had a monster game on that Thursday night game. Uh, And Howard versus Sanders is going to be something I think that's going to bug us all year.
1: Yeah, I think so, and I'm, I'm really surprised that I haven't seen more Jordan Howard hype because his breakout was a three-touchdown game in yeah. a primetime game against a good team. That's usually like that checks all the boxes for a guy who's going to go instantly from being not thought about to overvalued, but I haven't really seen that. Um, he seems like a guy that people just are never quite able to get excited about. Maybe just because of the you know the lack of pass catching contribution, but yeah, looking at the first two weeks of the season, this was a, really a three way split where Darren Sproles wasn't right. taking a ton of touches, but he was taking snaps and a few targets and a few carries. Uh, and when you're talking about a three way split, like just having that third guy, even if he's only taking a little, it really hurts us for like you know our fantasy lineups limits the upside there. But it was more in Sanders' favor, and ever since that Green Bay game, we've seen it going more in Howard's favor. Uh, so yeah, I think he's he's a guy who when you look at the goal line work and the fact he's getting most of the carries behind a good offensive line uh I think more you know I don't think he's quite viewed as that way, but I'm viewing him as like at least a back end r b two uh possibly even mid range r b two I think that team in general will get back a little more on track and you know, a running back who doesn't catch a lot of passes is going to always be dependent on overall team strength for his production to some extent.
2: Sure. Uh, Good news for him is he's got a pretty good team. So uh, it shouldn't be – it's not like – he's Joe Mixon and you know, always playing catch up. You know, it's, it's a little bit different, although Mixon stays in for everything. By the way, did you see, uh, the Bengals are averaging fewer yard, rushing yards per game. And I'm going back to my Bengals. Well, I know it's two rants in one podcast, but bear with me. They're averaging like 55 rushing yards per game. It's the lowest per team per game output since the 1946 Detroit lions.
1: Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I mean, it's what you, I guess Zach Taylor, you know, definitely brought a pass first approach, uh, which I know is not what Joe Mixon owners want to see, but probably as like you know an underdog team uh, makes sense. Like I I kind of agree with what you said. Like that coming out in Seattle and trying to throw the ball all over the place and being aggressive uh, is kind of the opposite of what a lot of new coaches do, and I really like that. And I was really impressed with the Bengals after Week One. Uh, it took a few weeks to realize that they were you know a terrible team.
2: Yeah, yeah and that they, they were doing that passing out of necessity because they, right, can't, they can't run the ball. Run the
1: ball. They, they just can't run the ball, yeah. Yeah,
2: So it goes. All right. Enough of that. All right. Uh, wow. I, I, I keep wanting to go back to that. Well, so Texans played the Colts uh, this week, and I know the Colts were off. Texans, though, I mean, they, they've kind of changed their narrative around a little bit here. Um, I still am not the biggest Bill O'Brien fan, but they seem to have kind of hit their stride.
1: Yeah, I can't stand Bill O'Brien, but I I guess I have to give him some level of credit Uh, I think he was taking a lot of heat early in the season for giving Carlos Hyde so many carries. It's like, look, you've got Deshaun Watson, Will Fuller, uh, some guy named DeAndre Hopkins is still there, I think, although I haven't really noticed him lately. Uh, And they traded, uh, was a third or fourth round pick for Duke Johnson. But in fairness, like Carlos Hyde has looked good. The results have been good. Their offensive line uh, with just the one trade for Laramie Tunzel and some in-house improvement has step forward I, I still i still think o'brien when he gets a lead he tends to go a little bit too much into a shell and run the ball too much but against a team like the chiefs that can't stop the run uh that works and the colts have struggled the colts have really struggled on defense uh both against the run and the pass this year mm-hmm. so i think that's kind of a kind of a toss up game i think the colts are favored by one maybe
2: yeah uh they are i actually took the colts i i think they're f- they found some things they're getting healthy. They're going to get Leonard back this week. I think that's one of the reasons why they really struggled so much in those games where they did like the the game against the Raiders. They were down both starting safeties and Darius Leonard. I think that was a big deal. I think at least getting wet Leonard back is going to make them better. Uh, We'll see on that one. Um, But I, I feel like they've also kind of been figuring out life without Andrew luck. And, they they had that superior. They're the ones that kind of paved the way for that anti Chiefs game plan, keep the ball out of Mahomes' hands. I mean, I guess there are probably a lot of people who have wanted to do it, but the Colts were actually able to do it. They went for it on fourth down like seven times in that game on Sunday night. I love seeing it. I mean, they're, it's such a smart coach, uh, and Frank Reich. I mean, uh, you know, it's an interesting contrast in coaching. I'll say that much.
1: Yeah, that's that was my thought. That was my thought with the Eagles Cowboys game and the Texans Colts game this week, right? They're both divisional games. Both teams really have a lot of talent, like top notch players on their roster. And I was like, man, the coaching gap here between you know Doug Peterson and Jason Garrett and then Frank Reich versus Bill O'Brien, right? Uh, there's a pretty big coaching gap there. Although I guess in both cases you might argue that the other team, you know, certainly the Texans probably have more talent than the Colts. But yeah, I tend to favor the the better coaches there and in the Houston or in uh, Indianapolis's case, also having home field advantage.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that is going to be a big deal. All right. That's going to kind of wrap up today's uh, podcast. Uh, Jerry, uh, Jerry, I know you're working on exploiting the matchups coming up here. Uh, Is there a game that you're focusing on for that article?
1: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm actually the Thursday night game. One thing that I'm, kind of interested in as we talked about the Chiefs and how susceptible they've been to the run and the fact that with all these injuries like teams are able to hang around a little more uh, and I think Royce Freeman is someone who's played reasonably well this season and he's over the past few weeks has taken some more of those passing down snaps from Philip Lindsay run more routes the past three weeks whereas Lindsay was running more earlier in the year and it finally showed up in the target and catches department this past week so I think Freeman is going to have a nice game for them it's a good matchup And we've seen the Colts struggle against some bigger backs like Hyde and Ingram in recent weeks. Uh, So, yeah, it's kind of just a starting point for someone who's probably on benches. uh, But with, you know, a bunch of teams on by this week makes for a nice RB2 or flex fill-in.
2: It does, indeed. And it's a big week for that with the Browns out, the Panthers out, no McCaffrey or Chubb. You know, you may have to scramble a lot for that. So, yeah, good stuff there. All right. Thanks to Yahoo Fantasy Sports for uh, sponsoring the podcast. Uh, Jerry, thanks for jumping on with me today. This is a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, good talking with you, Jeff. All right. Good luck to the Bengals this week.
2: Thanks. We need it. We need lots and lots of luck. Uh, thank you for tuning in the Rotowire. We'll be back at you again tomorrow.